if all of the scripture is going to be on your worship guide. So forewarning, we're going to read a pretty lengthy passage. Um, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Uh, at Redstone, we like to read all of the scriptures together, or I'll read it, and then uh, we will read the authority of God's word, the authority of scripture, which you'll find in your worship guide. So we're going to, here's what we're going to do. Luke chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 11. All right, so 1 and 2, and then jump down to 11. This is God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has f killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And we all say, for all flesh is like grass. Amen. If you guys will go ahead and have a seat. As you are having a seat, love for you to turn your attention to the TV. I'm going to uh, show you this, this quick video.
leave a message after the tone. Hey, Dad. It's me. Man, I know it's been a long time since we talked. I was, you know, I was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, yeah, I understand you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know. And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but, but Dad, I. I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just talk about life. And I just, I just want to come home. But I know you've probably written me off. I can't blame you, actually. Here's, here's, here's the thing. It's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm, uh, I'm coming through town soon, and, and I'd really just like to see you. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but, but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. If the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going, and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad. modern take on the story of the younger brother and uh, his father. Um, when you think of this story, you may just remember the son's betrayal, but more accurately, this story is about a prodigal father. It's the love of the father. And I just want to ask you, before we even jump to the end of the story, would you allow the Lord to speak to you, to unpack these truths to you in a new, a fresh in a unique way this morning. I just want to ask you, would you allow the Lord to speak the truth of God's word over your heart in a new way, just like you're hearing it for the very first time, and that you would allow the Lord to lavish the love of the Father upon your heart? 
Take a moment to pray for your own heart right now in this moment. Now would you take a moment to pray over the person to your left and to your right. Finally, I just ask that you pray for me, that the Holy Spirit would speak clearly, powerfully as God's word is proclaimed. Father, we approach your word this morning believing that it is living, it is active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And so, Lord, as your word is proclaimed, would you do what only you can do in this space, in our hearts? Draw to the Father. In Christ, name we pray. Amen. I'd like to ask you a question to start off our time together. What comes to your mind when you hear the word Father? If we were to pass a microphone around the room this morning, I would imagine there would be various uh, degrees of answers to this question. Uh, for some of you, when you hear the word Father, it brings great gladness to your heart, a smile to your face even. You reminisce on the sweet and fond memories that you have as a child growing up. For you, dad was fun. Dad was life-giving. Dad was a joy to be around. Every time he came home from work, you ran up to him and you squeezed his legs. Daddy's home. You ran up to him and it brought you so much joy that you could just burst, right? Your father made you feel seen and known, loved, cherished, adored, secure. I'm also confident that some of you would answer it differently. Perhaps for you, you don't have the most fond response when you hear the word Father. When you hear the word Father, it brings sadness or anger to your heart. When you recall memories of your father, you remember him being absent, distant, cold, mad, abusive even. When dad came home from work, you did not run into his arms. Ugh, dad's home. 
Your father made you feel unsafe, unknown, unloved, insecure, disrespected. This morning, we're going to talk about a father. This isn't just any father. This father in this parable represents our heavenly father. And you may have the absolute best earthly father there ever was, but I can guarantee you that he pales in comparison to the father that we're going to read about this story. Um, I have a twofold prayer this morning. It is simple and yet it is impossible to do in my own words. Um, but here's what I've, I've been praying for us this morning. My twofold prayer is this. Number one, that our hearts would melt at the love of the prodigal father. That our hearts would melt at the love of our prodigal father. Second is this, whether you were the younger son or the older son, that you would come home because you are welcome to the father's feast. Whether you identify as the younger or the older son, wherever you are, that you would come home because you're invited to the Father's feast. This morning, we're uh, looking at Luke chapter 15 again for the third time. We've intentionally taken time to really break down this entire passage by characters. Two weeks ago, we talked about the younger brother. Last week, we focused on the older brother. And this week, we're talking about the father. And what we've seen over these last few weeks is uh, the, the title probably in your Bible of this section is the prodigal son. But this story really is more about the love of a prodigal father. Now remember, this is really important. The word prodigal means to be recklessly extravagant. And in this story, we see just that. Two weeks ago, we read that the younger of the two sons, he goes to his dad and he requests his half of his father's inheritance. Now this son had everything that he could ever want in his father's house. He had everything that he could ever need. His life was full. It was complete while living in the embrace of his father. But he started noticing that the lifestyle that the world had to offer, and it seduced him. He was seduced by the promises of the distant country. And he just started thinking, if I could just get out there, then I'd really find love. I would find satisfaction. If I could just get out of here, then life would really begin. You see, the son, he had hopes, he had dreams of what he thought the distant land could be. But he never really thought it all the way through, did he? All he thought about was the initial temptation, the lure of all that the distant land offered. But he never considered the consequences of being outside of the father's embrace. So the son, what did he do? He went to his father, he asked for his share of the inheritance. And what he may have not said with his words, he most certainly said with his actions. Essentially, he said, Dad, I know what I want. I need to get out of here. And more than I love you, Dad, I love your stuff. I love your money. I want what you have. So just go ahead and give it to me. And what the son was essentially saying in this moment is, Dad, I don't want you. I want your stuff. You're dead to me, Dad. You're dead to me. The parable goes on to say that the father, he did, in fact, give him his share of the inheritance. Not long after, he goes to the distant country. He squanders all of his father's inheritance. This inheritance that he would have had spent his whole life accumulating, wasting it on cheap thrills, on wild living, on prostitutes. And in his mind, he had fun for a little while, but then the bottom fell out. The younger son, he spent everything, 
every penny that his father had given him. What happened in this story? There was a famine, the whole country. He was hungry. The younger son was in need. And so what do you do? What do you do when you're hungry and you're in need? You get a job, right? So the son gets hired by a citizen in the country and his job is to feed pigs. And what you need to know in this moment is that to Jews, pigs were unclean animals. So in their culture, he could not have stooped any lower at this moment. It was forbidden to eat them. And so being a pig herder was a despised job. Absolutely no one would want to stoop to this level. It would have brought incredible shame upon his life. But he was so desperate that he took this job. And while he was there, he was so hungry that he longed to eat what the pigs were eating. You see, the son thought he could find life apart from the love of his father. He thought he would find significance apart from his father's embrace. But here he was working in a pig pen, so hungry that he craved what the pigs were eating. Picture this reality, the desperation, the loneliness, the hopelessness, the sadness, this life that he thought would be so life-giving and so fun and so joyful, he now sees as broken and empty and without hope. The scriptures tell us that one day he came to his senses. This is a turning point in the son's story. He finally woke up. He started realizing that he had been seduced by the promises of the distant land. Life apart from his father wasn't exactly what he thought it would be. It left him alone, hungry, desperate for something more. And yet at the same time, he began to realize that in his father's house, he had everything that he could have ever wanted, everything that he could have needed in his father's embrace. And he just started to have this realization in his mind. My father's hired men have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. What he realized is, this is not what I hope to be. How do I get out of this desperate situation? I'm tired of this, right? I can't do this anymore. I'm going home to dad. But first, can't just go home empty-handed. I have to devise a plan. I gotta come up with a speech. And you can just picture him getting out a notepad and, and a pen at this moment. He begins to craft out his thoughtful speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But here's the thing. This son had no idea what was about to happen, did he? He had no clue what this father was gonna do in response to him coming home. Am I gonna get beat up? Is he gonna welcome me back in? Am I gonna have to make amends somehow? Do I have to just jump, jump through a bunch of hoops? I don't know. I can write a speech. I'll do whatever I need to do to become a hired servant. So finally, he gets enough nerve to go up to his father's house. And you can just picture him making his way home, anxious, sweating, hair matted, right? Working in a pigsty, smelling terrible. And perhaps as he was making his way back home, some friends of him, of his, saw him. Is that who I think it is? He looks terrible. What happened to him? The shame he must have felt in this moment. And while the sun was still a long way off, 
His father saw him. He saw him and he was filled with compassion. And what did the father do? He ran. The father ran to his son. He said, my son. Now, it's difficult for us to appreciate the magnitude of this moment because we don't quite understand what what a Middle Eastern culture would have looked like. But you need to understand a Middle Eastern man in that culture would never run. Running would have been beneath the dignity, honor, and wealth of this man. This man was a dignified pillar of his community. And not only that, but if you had to run, you had to hike up your robe. You had to hike up your robe and run, which gave you uh, the opportunity to trip and fall, right? This would not have happened in Middle Eastern culture. But it did happen. It did happen. When he saw his son coming, he loved him so much that he picked up his robe and he sprinted after his son, pretty much to say, I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what shame this might bring upon me in this moment. That's my son. He's my beloved and he's coming home. The father pursues. If you're taking notes this morning, that's the first thing that I want us to see about the father is that the prodigal father pursues the prodigal son. The prodigal father pursues the prodigal son. Now remember, the word prodigal means to be recklessly extravagant. The father's pursuit was recklessly extravagant in love toward his son who had been recklessly extravagant in sin. Don't miss this picture. And in this moment, as his, as his robe was hiked up and he was sprinting towards the sun, imagine the thoughts that were going through his son's mind. Oh my goodness, dad is running. Dad is running in this moment. Am I about to be killed? Is he about to, is he about to kill me? What is happening? Oh man, my life is over. He's gonna beat the tar out of me. You know what the father did? He wrapped his arms around his son. He gave him the most massive hug and he kissed him. The Greek translation says that he fell on his neck. He fell on his neck, hair matted, clothes tattered, smelling like a pigsty, and he just embraced him. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't disown him. He didn't ridicule him. He does the exact opposite. Then what? He says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. This robe would have belonged to the father and it represented that his son had been restored to the family. And then he gave him a signet ring that gave him authority uh, to his beloved son. And he kept going, putting, putting shoes on his, feet, on his feet, which would have been a sign of great wealth. The father pursues the prodigal son. Second thing I want us to see about the father is that the prodigal father celebrates the returning The prodigal father celebrates the returning. Father just goes off. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now, it's important to know there was no meat that was more expensive than the fattened calf. This wasn't something they just had for a typical dinner. This was a delicacy. Biblical scholars say that this fattened calf could feed about 70 people. So he's throwing a literal feast for the village to say, my son is home. 
says, come on, everybody, come in. Let's celebrate. Let's be joyful. Let's be glad. Let's have a party because my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. You know, so often when we think about this story, our focus, our emphasis goes to the prodigal son, but it really is about the prodigal father, a father who loved sacrificially, who was willing to be embarrassed to run full speed ahead to his son in the mess. It really is about the recklessly extravagant love of a father who despite his son's betrayal, despite his wayward heart, he just wrapped his arms around him and he fell on his neck and he embraced him. He was lost, but now he's found. So I don't know what kind of baggage we're all bringing in to this space this morning, but y'all, this is good news for us. This is really good news for us because if you have gone to the distant country, if you have squandered everything with reckless living, if you have believed the lie that life out there is somehow better than in the embrace of the Father, if you believed that it's greener on the other side, take heart because your Father welcomes you home. This isn't just a welcome home. There's some leftovers in the room for you. This is an all-out party, an all-out celebration where the Father is the host and you are the recipient. The music, the dancing, the fattened calf, robe, ring, shoes, it's all to celebrate. My son is not dead. He's alive. He's not lost. He's found. This would bring great joy to our hearts. And guess what? He doesn't need our well-written out speeches. He doesn't want our servitude. He's not interested in you earning your way back into the estate. He's not willing to allow you to pay for your record of wrongs. That's not the father that he is. This father celebrates the returning. Third thing I want us to see this morning is the prodigal father forgives the guilty. The prodigal father forgives the guilty. I'm gonna be referencing Tim Keller a lot this morning, but Tim puts it this way. He says, God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Come on home. Let me say that again. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. That's good news for us this morning, isn't it? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is so good in his prodigal love for us? Does this prodigal father melt your heart? I sure hope so, but it's not enough. It's not enough just to have your heart melted. You also have to come home. You've got to come home into the Father's loving embrace. He throws a celebration for the lost sinner who repents and comes home. That's act one of this parable. Here's act two. Parable goes on, talk about another brother. 
an older brother. Older brother was the responsible one. The older brother had his act together. He relied heavily on his good works. He thought he had earned his right to live in the father's house. The older brother, he was dutiful, a hard worker. He had a clean resume. But ultimately, what the older brother had was a cold, resentful, prideful heart. You see, he was off working in the fields, working hard to provide for his family. And he gets word that his prodigal brother goes off and he is reckless in his pursuit of sin. He was the runaway. He was the misfit. Finally, he comes to his senses and walks home. And what the older brother thought that his younger brother deserved was an arms crossed, furrowed brow, squinty eyed look that was just boiling over, ready to lay the smack down, rebuking him, lashing out consequences, demanding obedience. Yeah, dad, show him not to do that again. Come on, dad, tell him how pathetic he is. What a disgrace. Go ahead, dad, make him pay for what he's done to our family. And to the older brother's surprise, what caught the attention of his ears was not yelling, it was not condemnation, it was music, it was dancing. It wasn't arms crossed and a furrowed brow, it was running and pursuing. It wasn't consequences and demanding obedience, it was accepting love and forgiveness. How could this be? What kind of father is this that would respond to his son like this? Seriously, dad? After all he's done to you? He's disgraced our family. He's only brought ridicule on us and you kill the fattened calf for him? What about me, dad? Look what I've done. I've been perfectly obedient to you. I've never caused you trouble, dad. And you've never, not once, celebrated me like this. See, the older brother was entitled. Similar to his brother, he didn't want the father. He wanted the father's things. He was prideful, thinking that he was better than his brother because of all the good that he had done back at home. The older brother was self-righteous, finding value and identity in what he had accomplished. And here's what Jesus is doing in this parable. He's showing us that both the younger and the older brother are lost. They are both in sin. The younger son is lost in self-discovery, trying to forge his own path, making his way outside of the father's embrace. And the other son, the older brother, is just as lost because he's seeking to find value in moral conformity. If I just do the right things, then I'll earn a right standing with my father. If I just keep up this image that I've got my stuff together, then I'll make myself feel better. If I can just do enough good works, if I can be perfectly obedient to my father, then I'll get the things that I want from God for my father. I've served you, dad. I've perfectly obeyed your commandments. Do you see the relationship dynamic here? The older brother thinks that his relationship with his father is based on merit. The older son was equally as lost 
as the younger son. You know what the father does? Right in the midst of his older son's pity party, he goes out to him in the backyard. And I can imagine him putting his arm around his older son. And he's just furious. The older son's just boiling over at the thought that there's music and dancing and a fattened calf for his brother. Doesn't go into the celebration, refuses to go inside. But what does the father do? The father initiates love first. Did you see that in the story? He doesn't call for one of his servants to come get him. He doesn't whistle at him to get his attention. The father initiates and goes out to his son. The parable tells us that the father entreated him. And that word entreated is is, uh, the word for wooing, for appealing, pleading, yearning. The father desperately wanted him to come inside. He says, come on, join the celebration. And he reminds him, he says, you're my son. In the word son here, it comes from the word technon which is more of a tender, intimate expression of the word son. So he's not rebuking him. He's not putting him down. He's inviting him in with compassionate love. That's the fourth thing that I want us to see about the father this morning is that the prodigal father welcomes the wayward. The prodigal father, he welcomes the wayward. He goes on to say to his older son, He says, son, you're always with me. Son, you're always with me. Let me say it a different way. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And then the father, he repeats the same phrase that he did before, but he says it a bit differently this time. He says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother. He's personalizing it. He was dead. And he's alive. He was lost. But now he's found. He says, son, your brother has come home. This is a reason for joy. This is a reason for gladness and for celebration. He's been found. So come on in. Join the celebration. And I don't know if you caught this, but Jesus left us with a bit of a cliffhanger here. (laughs) He doesn't really tell us if the, the older son ever came in to the house. If he ever joined the celebration... But what we do see in this passage is there's this repetitive nature. Look with me. If you've got your Bibles at Luke 15, look at verse 7. We're going to be bouncing at a few verses. What we see repeated throughout each of these three parables in Luke 15. So you've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. It's this repeated nature of celebration, of joy, of gladness. In verse 7, It says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jump to verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to what? To celebrate. Verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and what? Be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Who is this father? He's recklessly extravagant in his love. And he throws a massive party when his sons 
when his daughters comes home in repentance. But he also gently and compassionately welcomes in this older, wayward brother who has a prideful, arrogant heart. And he says, come on, let's celebrate. Let's be joyful. Let's be glad. You are welcome to the feast too. Does this father melt your heart? Does he melt your heart? Whether you are the younger or the older son, it doesn't really matter. Most important thing is that you come home. Most important thing is to know that you too are invited to the Father's feast. Um, I'm gonna close with this. Um, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Prodigal God. I highly encourage you to grab a copy of that book. Um, most of what I, I wanna share here in this closing um, is directly from his book, Prodigal God. It's a short book. I would really encourage you to get it. Um, but in his book, he does a flyover of what happens in Luke chapter 15. And he does a flyover particularly of each of these three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And in it, he says, in the parable of the lost sheep, there's 100 sheep. One goes astray. So the shepherd goes out and he finds the sheep. And this is followed by rejoicing. All right, that's number one. In the parable of the lost coin, a woman has 10 silver coins, but she loses one. What does she do? She lights a lamp. She sweeps the whole house and she searches diligently until she finds it. Again, it's followed by rejoicing. That's number two. In this third parable, there are two lost sons. You see the pattern, right? There was something that was lost, something that was found, followed by rejoicing, gladness, celebration. However, there's a difference. There's a difference between these first two parables and this last parable. You see, in the first two, someone goes out searching diligently for what was lost and finds it. But no one went out searching for the lost son, did they? No one went out for the younger brother to look and to find him. And Jesus places these parables next to each other to ask the, this question, who should have gone out for the younger brother, for the lost son? And what he's doing in this moment is he's hearkening back to the Old Testament, to another younger and older brother that we're familiar with, Cain and Abel. And in that story, God tells the older, resentful, proud, older brother, he says, you are your brother's keeper. And you see in this parable, the older brother should have gone out and searched for the younger brother. That's what a true elder brother should have done. And Tim Keller, he says it this way, check this out. He says, the true elder brother would have said, Father, my younger brother has been a fool and now his life is in ruins, but I will go look for him and bring him home. And if the inheritance is gone, as I expect, I'll bring him back into the family at my expense. You see, it is only at the older brother's expense that the younger brother can be brought in. Now, don't forget the father had already given the younger son his inheritance, right? It is gone, donezo. So when the father said, all that I have is yours, that is the literal truth. Every penny belonged to the older brother, the robe, the ring, the fattened calf. It is all the older brothers by right. 
what does this show us? This shows us that the younger brother's restoration was free to him, but it came at enormous cost to the older brother. You see, the father couldn't just forgive the younger brother. Someone had to pay. The father couldn't just reinstate him except at the expense of the older brother. But Jesus didn't put an elder brother in this parable, did he? Why? What he's doing here is he's causing us to yearn for a true elder brother. He's causing us to yearn for a true elder brother who is Jesus Christ. That's the fifth and final thing I want us to see this morning. The prodigal father sends the true son. The prodigal father sends the true son. Tim Keller said this, I love, love, love this quote. He said, we don't just need an elder brother that comes from the next town to bring us home. We need someone who came from heaven to earth. We don't just need an elder brother who brings us back into God's family at the cost of his wallet. We need one who is willing to do so at the cost of his life. He brought us home at infinite expense to himself. Jesus Christ is our true elder brother. Y'all don't miss this. Jesus gave his life so that our sins could be pardoned. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be restored to the Father. It's a prodigal kind of love. It's one that is recklessly extravagant. Here's my encouragement to us this morning. Whether you identify as the younger or the older son, you're invited to come home this morning to enjoy the Father's feast. And if you're wondering what it looks like to do that, the scriptures call us to repent. It means simply to turn from our sins and to place our whole trust, to place our whole faith in Christ alone for salvation. You can come home this morning. This is your opportunity to respond to the good news of the gospel. Um, We don't do a traditional altar call here at Redstone, but we all respond in faith to who Christ is, to what he's offered to us in the gospel. And so this morning, um, if you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna just invite you. We're gonna feast on this bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for us on the cross. And we get to feast on the juice which represents Christ's blood poured out for us, offering atonement for the sins of the world once and for all. And I wanna encourage you, come with a grateful heart, come with adoration of who this heavenly father is that welcomes us to his feast. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll take. Father, We are greatly humbled that you would welcome us to your table. And Father, thank you that you didn't even allow us to earn our way back to you. There's no way we ever could. It had to be someone else in our place to pardon us, to pay the debt that we deserve to pay. So Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus 
on our behalf. Thank you for pursuing our hearts. Thank you for celebrating us when we come home, even when we have prideful and cold and resentful hearts. We thank you for your great love that initiates over and over and over again. And so as we partake of this meal, would you find our hearts deeply, deeply grateful. And not just that, but rejoicing and celebrating with great gladness in our hearts that you have welcomed us home. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We have two stations up front, two in the back. Whenever you're ready, you can partake of communion.